The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. Brett from Heinemann. Today on the podcast, how can teachers improve their practice around LGBTQ needs in the classroom? As I record this, it's October 11th, National Coming Out Day. A day for those who identify as LGBTQ to be visible. A day to say, you matter. You're not alone. How can educators make their classrooms a safe place for LGBTQ students? And why is it important for both LGBTQ teachers and students to see schools as a safe place. Joining me to discuss this topic are Heinemann author Kate Roberts and Heinemann fellow Jess Lifshitz. Jess starts out our conversation on why it's important for our classrooms to be safe places. I think that the hardest places for people to feel safe in are the places that historically and traditionally have not felt safe for students. So even though here we are in 2017 and we've made so much progress in terms of LGBT rights and just inclusion and acceptance, um, traditionally schools have been places, I think, where a lot of us who are gay have experienced um, either harassment or just a feeling of being invisible. And so I think the places where that has been the past experience are the places where we have to work the hardest to make kids today feel safe. And I also think that our students get so much from the direction that we head. And if we're avoiding topics, students feel like the reason for that, they infer the reason. And so sometimes kids start to think that somebody who's gay or someone who's transgender is in some way not appropriate for school because they are left out of the curriculum. They're left out of the classroom. They're left out of conversation. And so I think we run the risk of letting kids assume that there's something inappropriate about people who are part of the LGBT plus community. So I think as educators, we have to find ways, even if it makes us uncomfortable, we have to find ways to bring all humans into our classrooms and make sure everybody is seen for kids who are LGBTQ and kids who are just a part of this world. Yeah, I think that um, it's easy sometimes if if you're straight to not see the effect that the silence has on your colleagues and your students, right? That like, it's easy, I think, to think that everything's fine. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I know this gay teacher down the hall, but he seems fine here. He seems really happy. Or you don't think you have any gay students, so it's probably not an issue. And so I think it's hard for a teacher who doesn't identify as LGBTQ+. It's hard to then have a sense of urgency around that if everything seems fine. If the issue doesn't sort of present itself to you, if you don't have a kind of critical moment of, of change in your view on the world. But like what Jess and I and so many other people who are not represented here in this podcast can tell you is that they are not fine if the culture that they're working in 
that they're living in, that they're learning in, is one that does not acknowledge and support the existence of gay people, of trans people, of bi people, of queer people in general. And the smiles and the nods and the, oh, that's okay, it's not true. (laughs) It's not okay. It's just that we are conditioned and we are trained and we have to, for our own survival, say that it's okay and make sure that everyone around us feels comfortable. Um, So I think on the one hand, it's like school is a front line for these issues, like Jess was saying, because it hasn't traditionally been a place where you can even mention the existence of of, uh, LGBT people. But I think it's also that like we're here. (laughs) They're in your classroom and they're not okay. I'm not saying they aren't necessarily in crisis. I'm not, you know, pathologizing the queer kid or anything like that, but they're not cool with it. It, There's a thing. They're thinking about it. They're wondering where they fit. And the adults in the building have a responsibility to, to make that space one where kids feel like they can exist and they can fit. Um, And I think what Jess said that's so beautiful is that it's not just about queer kids Mm -hmm. or queer teachers that, you know, the schools that I am, like I have the luxury, the privilege to be able to see schools all over the country and like the schools that embrace uh, LGBT identities are also, they tend to be schools that embrace lots of identities. Mm Like that where lots of kids can feel safe and welcomed and like a part of the community and schools that don't, that are, that are, that will not have those books or those topics or anything be spoken in that way tend to be the places uh, where there's, there's more of a bullying culture. There's more of a kind of us versus them culture amongst kids um, and teachers potentially. Kate, you sort of referenced this a second ago, so I want to make it abundantly clear that, you know, the, the experiences that we talk about in this podcast, certainly we can't speak for every person out there in the world. We can only speak to our own personal experiences and, and how that's informed our thinking. So I just want to sort of put that out there. You know, it's important that if an educator hears this or they've been thinking about this or it's been on their mind and they think, you know, it feels daunting to sort of make those changes if, if, if they realize that, that they want to move forward and making those changes in their school or just in their classroom or with their students. What are some ways that an educator could make some steps and get started going down this path to sort of help a student see themselves? I think, I mean, the thing that comes to my mind is uh, the best first step is just mention the existence of LGBTQ people. Just practice it. Little dips in. You, you mentioned someone that you know is gay, be like, they were gay. Yeah. <laughs> mention gay issues that exist. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to debate it. You don't have to put a book in necessarily first step, but just mention that these, these issues exist. Um, I think the erasure of gay identities and queer identities is, is the most insidious part of, mm. of homophobia, right? It's just this deafening silence. I don't know for you, Jess, but for me growing up, I literally didn't know that, that, that gay people existed until, um, until much, much later than, than I should have. Um, and I think that's still sort of true in some places. I agree. I think, um, you know, I think of myself now as a, as a grown up and as a mom walking into my daughter's classroom for the first time. And unfortunately, I think because of the world we still live in, I assume I'm not welcome until I'm proven otherwise. Mm. So I think especially walking into schools or religious institutions, because of the history there, I assume 
Um, and I, I wish I didn't, but I assume bad until um, I'm proven otherwise. So the things to me that are visible even are really important. So my daughter's in preschool, so <laughs> there's not a ton of content uh, on the walls other than, you know, the alphabet. But um, books, you know, just having images that represent all sorts of families. And I actually think in elementary school, some of the easiest ways to start working LGBT issues into the classroom is through family diversity. Um, Just talking about families with two moms or two dads, or, you know, that's part of a larger conversation about families who live with grandma or families who are with an aunt or uncle. Um, So seeing books that represent all families is a big deal. I also think um, the forms and papers that we send home are a really easy place to start. I'm often surprised how many forms I still, my wife and I have to cross out where it says father and put in mother. Um, And it's nobody's meaning to exclude us. They just aren't thinking about it. And I think the thinking about it comes first and then making changes that are visible, like having, you know, just listing family members instead of saying mom and dad, or even parent one and parent two is making assumptions. Mm -hmm. So just giving space to list family members that are important. Um, The communication that we send home, the way we title letters to say dear families or dear, you know, dear caregivers instead of moms and dads, Um, being aware around holidays like Mother's Day. Um, Luckily, Father's Day falls in the summer, so it's not as big of a concern. Um, Those kinds of visible signs, I think, are a really good place to start. And I think for me, Putting the books in my room that showed gay characters came first. And then eventually I actually started to use the books. (laughs) But like they needed, it's almost like when you get a new fish and you have to like acclimate it to the tank first. Like I had to let the books like hang out a little bit until I was like, okay, I'm going to read this one out loud or I'm going to say the word gay and lesbian instead of just referring to a family with two moms or two dads. Um, And I think those little steps add up. And then I think the single biggest motivating factor is when you do finally jump in and you watch the kids' non-reaction, (laughs) that kids are so much more willing to just go with it than we are as adults. So I think the the place to, you'll never feel totally ready. I don't feel ready. Still, I, I get nervous when I read a new book that I know has a gay or, or transgender character in it. But just to jump in a little bit at a time and just watch the kids, you know, and then follow them where they lead us. Kate, you you do a lot of work with middle schoolers and, and high school as well. And I know certainly that's where more questions are starting to arise. But it's also sort of an opportunity where as those questions are coming up more from students and it can sometimes be questions that you're not really sure how to read those questions. You're not necessarily sure are they asking me because, you know, they're curious for themselves or is it just sort of a middle schooler being a middle schooler? So <laughs> what sometimes, sometimes it's, it's difficult to know how to read that situation. You know, I think what's interesting about that for me is that um, it is one big, huge ray of hope I have for our world around this issue um, in schools, but just in our human communities. Because when I started this job where I go to sort of a new school every day and there are lots and lots of times where I'm entering to classrooms as like the surprise guest, you know, <laughs> and uh, for the listeners who don't know, I, uh, I, 
I, for lack of a better, more nuanced phrase, I look sort of gay. People can see me and they will think, hmm, I bet she is, right? So I'm visibly gay or I have cues, I have short hair, I'm striving for a kind of Rachel Maddow kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, at the beginning of my career, when I would go into new classrooms, I can tell you, this was 17 years ago, 12 years ago, kids would erupt. Like I would walk in and they would yell and go, oh my God, and yell jokes. And like, it was like a, a huge wall of a reaction that would meet me. And, uh, you know, I developed over the years ways to just meet that with a kind of steadiness and then some love and humor. And, and by the end of 45 minutes, usually kids would be like, you know, Miss Roberts. You know, it was all. I wasn't the weird lesbian in the room. I was Miss Roberts, right? So, the thing that I see more than anything else now, going into middle schools and high schools, is that kids. You know, I still feel like they notice me. I still feel seen and noted, and oh, oh, I know what that is, right? Um, but it is vastly different. Um, you know, I have like kids come up to me and just openly be like, "I like your hair." <laughs> you know, it was unheard of, you know, a few years ago. Um, so I'll say that I, I, if you're a teacher who isn't sure how to talk about these issues, like Jess said, I'll echo it. The kids are ready to talk about this. Mm. They are ready. They want to. They are interested, but not in a crazy, oh my gosh way, just in a... I'm interested. This is our world. We know that there are different kinds of people. And, and uh, you know, I don't have kids ask me that many questions anymore. Yeah. Um, really, it's the kindergartners that are like, are you a boy or a girl? That's the question I get that I have to feel. The middle schoolers, you know, um, the other thing is I think that because there aren't lots of spaces to have these discussions yet, you know, middle schoolers typically won't ask me anything because they don't want to be rude, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm there to teach. I'm there to talk about reading and writing. And, you know, I think the, the, the dream I have is the space in schools to be able to have these conversations. And many schools do have like straight gay alliances and, you know, LGBTQ clubs and all that, but more schools than not don't have those spaces to talk. Jess, you mentioned before that and the letters that we're sending home to parents and that's, that's that's a really easy place to just sort of say partner or, you know, choose different things and not just always have to be the default mother and father. So certainly that also extends further, you know, throughout the years when we use pronouns and that pronouns are just such a, a simple everyday use. You know, there's different con contexts for how we can use pronouns. But, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about pronouns and, and why that's important. I mean, sometimes when that conversation comes up, it gets a bad rap for trying to be too politically correct. But when you strip away that talking point, there's actually a good reason why talking about pronouns is important. Yeah. I always think about it. I think simply to say for me to imagine going around and having everybody use he as the pronoun to describe me. Um, I identify as female. I prefer the she pronoun. Um, and if everyone around me kept saying he did that, it would feel really frustrating. And it would feel like I needed to scream and tell them you're wrong. That's not who I am. Um, and I think we do that to kids all the time. I think, especially in elementary school, kids might not have the language to say that feels wrong. Mm -hmm. Or they do have that language and they've tried to use that language and they've been told to stop it, that 
they are a boy or they are a girl and stop, you know, saying that you're not. Um, so where I've come is that any time that I can avoid having to have or asking children to choose a gender or choose a pronoun, I'm going to avoid it. So, you know, little things like, um, I used to have a boy's bathroom pass and a girl's bathroom pass. And I don't know, maybe that bathroom passes is not a thing after elementary school, but I feel like it's kind of a big, you have a pass. Yeah, (laughs) There are rules. (laughs) There are rules. We had a boy's and a girl's bathroom pass. And it wasn't until I heard, um, someone who is transgender telling, the story of, you know, what it was like for him in school, always feeling like when he had to make a choice that raised his anxiety because he felt like either I make a choice that feels wrong for me or I make a choice that gets me made fun of by the people around me. How simple is it to take away a boy's and a girl's bathroom pass and have bathroom pass number one and bathroom pass number two? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, it doesn't matter to me if they're both (laughs) boys or girls or someone who identifies as neither out of the room at the same time. Um, And also, you know, the way I think there are a lot of classrooms where we're still lining up boys line and girls line and to get rid of that and also take away, you know, ladies and gentlemen and say folks instead. Um, All those little changes feel so small and are actually, I mean, they take some practice to become habit, but they're actually really easy changes to make that are not at all politically charged. They're not at all controversial, but we can make those changes. And I think about how many moments of anxiety are we all of a sudden removing for kids who don't feel like they fit into that traditional gender binary. Um, And it took me a long time to understand that, but then I imagine my own discomfort of walking into a you know, men's bathroom and it would feel so wrong for me. And I think about kids who have to do that every day. Mm -hmm. And when we can to take away that need to choose or, you know, the ability to respect someone's pronouns, it might be a little uncomfortable for us for a little bit. But then I think about how much discomfort we're alleviating for a child. And then it feels really important. I think that idea of discomfort is such a big one. You know what I mean? Because like on on all sides, this is right now in, in our, in our world, it's not comfortable for anybody sometimes, right? Like there are going to be times as an educator, like I'm, I'm uncomfortable all the time. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm uncomfortable. I mean, that's just me as a person, but I mean, also when talking about issues around identity, you know, I I feel like I make mistakes. Um, I have intentions that don't go the way I want. I get too scared to make a brave move forward. I wonder if I've gone too far. And I think like, there's a way that you that you have to understand and sort of accept that we are going to have to feel uncomfortable sometimes uh, in order to move forward. We're going to have to make mistakes. Like listening to you, Jess, I know that I have this verbal tick that I have not yet been able to erase. Or I say guys all the time. That's my, hey guys, hey guys. I do it to my kids. I do it to, I do it to everybody. So there's a mistake I make, right? Like I'm still making it. I made it today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still going to move forward, trying to be a little bit better tomorrow to think about it, to reflect on it. And if I never fix that one, okay, but like, I'm going to keep at it. And I think if we can have that attitude more about some of these issues and understand that it's going to be uncomfortable, 
but that since we're in schools, our charge really is to help our kids feel as comfortable as possible. And that's where I would also, as a gay educator, I would appeal to our straight allies that we need you, that it is uncomfortable, I think, for any of us to talk about things that traditionally have not been talked about in schools. For a gay educator to start bringing in issues of LGBT people and, um, you know, talking about current events even, as a gay educator, there's an added layer of vulnerability because I think as if a, if a parent is upset, it can quickly then switch over to, well, she's got an agenda. Mm-hmm. And it is so much easier for me as a gay educator to talk, to read books with transgender characters if I know that the straight teacher across the hall is also reading those books because then all of a sudden it's not that one gay classroom teacher who's reading these books or having these conversations. It's what we do as a school because we believe that all people deserve to be represented and that it is our responsibility to help kids learn about all people who exist in this world so they're better equipped when they go out and interact with them. And so I think we all feel that discomfort. I can say as a gay educator, we I feel it in a different way because every time I open my mouth in somewhere in my head is that idea that someone could say, could this could come back and someone could say I'm pushing my own agenda or it's because I'm gay that I'm I'm having these conversations. So I guess my plea is twofold. One, to straight educators to step up as allies and start having those uncomfortable conversations too. And then also, as I, I would say to any administrator listening, that I need that verbal support that, you know, I I know you worry about being the gay classroom teacher. And I want you to know that I, I've got your back. And I think for administrators also to have conversations where they're talking about LGBTQ issues makes every teacher feel like, oh, it's okay for me to then go ahead and do it in my classroom. So I think that that discomfort is something we all feel. And I think that's what we always talk about when we say use your privilege for good. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have to worry about the attack of she's pushing an agenda, it's just a smidge easier for you to have those conversations. And we, I think we all need to sort of lean into that discomfort to make it easier on everyone. We can't do it without our straight colleagues because there are laws in most states that say that we can be fired. You know, we cannot be hired. Like there is not protection in many places for for us, um, for our jobs. And, you know, in a thread that Jess and I are on, we're hearing stories from queer teachers around the country who who viably feel like their, their jobs are threatened if they're um, out to their colleagues, not even kids. We're not even until we're not even at that level of, you know, reading a book with a queer character in it. We're talking about just saying, yeah, I got a, I got a boyfriend <laughs> or I got a girlfriend um, or I'm this person. This is who I am. So if we don't have the, the relationship, the support of, of straight colleagues, um, it's going to be really hard to move, to move this conversation forward. Um, in my own classroom, you know, my kids were calling each other names, uh, using the F word quite a bit. And, uh, I was really upset by it, but I didn't know how to talk about it. And it wasn't until my, the teacher who taught to me next door, well, shout out to Carlos Romero, wherever you are. I think you're a principal somewhere in New York. He came out at lunch one day and said, you know, I'm hearing the boys say this and it's driving me nuts. We got to do something. And he said, I'm the one who has to do it. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. I've got to do it. And I just 
wept, right? Because it was true. I desperately needed him. I couldn't do it on my own. But then once he did it, I could step up to, right? And kind of be like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really struggle with like the chicken or the egg question of what comes first, like action or thought, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's a marriage that I, I have to sometimes try some things to figure out what I think about them or how it feels. But I also have to do a lot of like just my own sort of changing of perception. And um, I've certainly had that for myself with with lots of different issues in my adult life. Um, but like, you know, just starting to to look around you and notice stuff like the pronoun thing, yeah. like look at the forms and look at what uh, caregivers are being called um, without it, without deciding to look and see and note without torturing yourself with guilt without being angry at everything but just kind of saying like oh i see that now then i think it opens up the possibility for being able to make changes and i think no matter how small we start we will always be encouraged by the children we're working with because they will push us forward they will push us forward into things that might seem really scary to us but when we sort of you know lock arms with our kids and walk into it um we're not alone anymore and and we can follow their lead because it as in everything I've seen kids are significantly braver than adults are and we and if we keep following them I think we will end up in a better place and that this generation of kids will grow up to sort of fix some of the messes that we've left behind so I think in some ways it's a really scary time and in other ways it's a really hopeful time that this could be our chance to do better in the future. Yeah, and the hope also that small things make a big difference, right? I think sometimes when you enter into this stuff, you feel like, oh, I have to change the policies of the blah, you know? But like as as a, a gay kid growing up, you know, I I didn't have much to hang on to. But the tiny things, they probably saved my life. <laughs> Nancy McKeon on the facts of life. Probably saved my life, right? Like just seeing someone who might, she's not, but she might, she could be something that I think I am. That tiny glimpse, that tiny confirmation, you're okay, you exist, you're here, you're not alone. That made the difference for me. And so you don't have to run the straight gay alliance in your school to to save a kid's life. Yeah. You can just say that we exist. Yeah. You can just bring books onto your bookshelf. You can just change the language on on home letters. And and that could be the difference um, for a child that's in your care. My thanks to both Heinemann author Kate Roberts and Heinemann fellow Jess Lifshitz for their time and thoughts today. Jess also has a blog, crawlingoutoftheclassroom.wordpress.com, and Kate Roberts has a new book out with Heinemann in the spring of 2018. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or review. We're now also streaming the podcast on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. You can follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.